0: Percy asks Chiron who he is, like who, who am I, and Chiron just kind of answers in the most best cryptic way, well that's what we all want to know. to The Damn Podcast. My name is Smile, I'm your host, and in today's episode we're going to be talking about the second Percy Jackson episode of the TV series, and chapter 5 through 9 of the first book, The Lightning Thief. So in today's episode it's only going to be me talking, um, so feel free to just sit back, relax, and listen. We're going, to have a, we're going to have a great chill time talking about Percy Jackson, which I assume we both love considering you're listening to this, or at least like a little bit. Unless you're someone's partner who has been dragged to listen to this because they really like Percy Jackson. Anyways, I feel like you would enjoy it too. Now, wherever you're listening from, have a good day, have a good night, and I hope you enjoy this. Yeah, so let's just get right into it. So chapter 5 in the book starts with Percy talking about his dreams. Now, he's talking about uh, dreaming about Poseidon and Zeus fighting. Now, sometimes he's seeing them as animals, like we talked about in episode One, that you can listen to on Spotify or Apple Podcasts before this one. And sometimes he's seen them fight as men in Toga. Togas, I think that's what it's called. I am not entirely sure. Don't take my word for it. Um, But at least he's dreaming about them. And now obviously he's at Camp Half-Blood. He's been dragged over the line by Grover. Or he stumbled over the line in the TV series. And he tells us that he keeps waking up. And he says that the things he's seeing while he's waking up doesn't quite make sense, so he's kind of just passing out again and passing off his dreams. And he's saying that one time he gets woken up and gets kind of in- interrogated by Annabeth a little bit, and she's asking him what's going on, what's stolen, and he's kind of like, I don't, I don't know, and then just kind of passes out again. And the next time he wakes up, he says he sees Angus. Now we don't get Angus in the TV show, which is. It's a bit sad, because we love Angus, we love our, what, what is he, chauffeur, camp leader, or camp helper, something, candy man, with all the eyes, you know, at least he's describing seeing Angus, and all his eyes, and yeah, we love Angus, kind of sad we didn't get that in the TV show, but, you know, uh, and he kind of just passed out again, because he was like, yeah, no, boy, that's real, and... Now, in the book, when he comes to, he's sitting on the porch outside in a chair with what he thinks is a glass of apple juice by his side. Now, obviously, we fans of Percy Jackson who have read the books, again, this is going to be a spoiler episode. If you want to listen to this, you should probably read the Percy Jackson books first, unless you want to get spoiled. Because I talk a lot about stuff that happens after this. So, I'm just letting you know now, if you haven't read the Percy Jackson books, go back read them, and then come back and listen to this. So as I mentioned, he's sitting on the porch uh, with his glass of apple juice, which he thinks is apple juice, and as we know, it's nectar. And Grover is standing there, and he's wearing his jeans and converse to hide his legs. So Percy can't immediately see that he has goat legs. And so Percy believes that he has a nightmare, and or that he had a nightmare, and that it was all just a dream. And then Grover kind of thanks him for saving his life and brings him the minotaur horn. And then Percy, it kind of settles in for Percy here that this wasn't a dream. This was all real. And my mom is gone and I've killed the minotaur. And obviously Percy is feeling very bad. But then Grover is kind of also apologizing to Percy and he's saying he's the worst satyr in the world and... He stomps his foot and his shoe comes off, and Percy's kind of like, well, that, that settles it, this was all real. By the way, sorry if you can hear the rattling in the background, those are my rats, they are drinking very loudly right now. Yeah, so Percy's kind of like, yeah, that settles this, this wasn't a dream, I've lost my mom, I've killed the minotaur. Uh, but while Grover's apologizing, Percy somehow still finds the compassion to be like, no, it's, it's not your fault, and... In that conversation, Grover tells Percy that he's a keeper, and we kind of get explained that he's a keeper. Now, in the TV series, this all happens a little bit differently. Because first off, we don't see Percy's dreams. And I feel like that's a a completely okay cut to make. We get more dreams later in the series, and I don't really think it's a big deal that we didn't get some dreams. And especially because in the book, it's just supposed to like really enhance the fact that Percy knows that this is clo- we're closing in on a war, it's getting dangerous, people are fighting, the gods are fighting. Um, so I don't feel like it needed to be in this TV series, so I really don't mind that they actually cut it out. And also, uh, when he starts waking up, we kind of see the silhouette of the people, which is the last thing we see uh, in the first episode. And so in the second episode, he finally wakes up, but we don't see him like waking up and passing out again uh, like we do in the book. Uh, but when he comes to, it's only him and Grover there. So we still have Grover there, which I think is a good thing, but this time he's laying inside in the bed. Um, and we kind of get a little bit of a different conversation between Percy and Grover, where Percy is kind of like, wow, that really happened. My mom is gone and wow. Like, what do I do now? And I feel like that's a very powerful moment we get there from Percy because we really feel his pain. And I think Walker did a great job with, like, being Percy here. Just, yeah, really liked it. Uh, And now in the TV series, Grover hasn't bothered trying to put on pants or try to, like, ease into it for Percy like he did in the book. Um, But, you know, I guess they just want to save time on that. It, It really doesn't matter either. But then... Percy sees the minotaur horn, which has been laid on a table nearby or something like that, and he kind of goes, wow, it really happened, didn't it? And uh, in this, when Grover starts apologizing, Percy's kind of like, no, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Like, he, like in the book, he says, oh, it's not your fault. Like, you, it's not your fault. Well, in the TV series, he's a little bit more like, I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone, kind of. He's a little bit more sulky. But, I mean, I get it. His mom kind of just vanished slash died, he thinks. Uh, So, definitely get him not being able to be the most compassionate in the moment. And in the TV series, Percy obviously just walks out of the room and is like, I don't want to talk about it. And we're going to get to that later because now he gets onto the porch in the series. But in the book, uh, it's actually a little bit longer conversation. Now... In the book, um, while Grover and Percy is talking, uh, Percy gets to taste nectar for the first time, and he doesn't know what it is, but he says that he retched when he tried to drink it because he was expecting cold apple juice, but it was in fact warm, and it tasted like his mother's warm homemade blue cookies. Um, and so Grover is kind of like, "Oh my God, I wish I could have tasted," and Percy's like, "Oh no, sorry, I should have saved you some." And obviously, he doesn't know that satyrs can't have nectar. But yeah, so in the series, we didn't actually get uh, Percy trying nectar for the first time. We we really don't hear about nectar or ambrosia like at all, um, which I think is interesting because I feel like they could very easily just include it, but. Maybe they cut it. Maybe it's gonna come up later because at some point they're gonna need nectar and ambrosia and would I feel like it would be a little bit weird to wait Like very far into the season or like to next season because at some point they're going to need nectar and ambrosia And I feel like it plays a pretty vital part sometimes where it's like yeah, this gotta revive you back to life right now and I mean, it's another part of being a demigod that just separates them from us humans so I find it kind of weird they didn't really include it. But at the same time, I feel like it's probably fine. It's probably going to be fine. And hopefully they will bring it up soon so we can fact actually learn about it. Because at this point, n- new Percy Jackson fans from the TV show doesn't know a lot of basic stuff. So I hope we get a little bit more into it later and maybe get some more information just quickly in a natural way you know not just put put in there. Now the next part also happens differently in the book from the series because in the books um, Grover actually takes Percy to go see Mr. D and Chiron while in the series Percy has obviously stormed out of the room and like I don't want to talk to you Grover right now Uh, and he kind of goes to the glass looking pavilion thing and I must say I really really liked the design like that it's it's so cool what like how do they do all it? like the glass it was it was awesome I really really liked the set it was really cool and I feel like it was very very accurate to how I could have interpreted Camp Half-Blood's pavilion you know uh so I I really like that uh, but when Percy gets there, he sees Mr. D, that he obviously doesn't yet know is Mr. D, or Dionysus. Um, and so he kind of just goes like, hey, uh, I'm Percy Jackson. And then, oh my god, when Mr. D just yells, Peter Johnson's here! Amazing. Amazing. I, I if If there was one thing I didn't expect, it was that. I could in no way have predicted what was gonna happen next, and it was amazing. Loved it, loved every second of that. And their whole exchange with uh, Percy being like, yeah, I'm trying to find my dad, and Mr. D is like, yes, son. (laughs) And Percy actually falling for it, amazing. Loved that whole thing with Mr. D trying to use him to get wine and stuff, and Mr. Brunner just being all confused, just like, "Mm, Mr. D is not, your father percy just whole thing amazing i like it happens very very differently from the books but i don't mind it i think just the entire thing is very very fun uh and it definitely it definitely is a good way to just shorten down uh a lot of like the whole, the that whole scene it's it's they i feel like they cut it cut it decently well now, obviously, in the book, it happens a little bit differently. But it's, we still get the same sassy Percy. And I really love when Mr. D, obviously, in the series, yells, Bader Johnson is here. And Percy kind of goes, okay, that's not really my name. And Grover comes like, I, you don't want to be disrespectful. Like, he's like, he's starting with me. Yeah, yes, Percy, that's, that's our sassy right there. Perfect. Love that. Amazing. Absolutely, yes. But in the book, it happens very differently because, as I said, Grover takes Percy to meet Mr. D. and Chiron. And at this point, Percy kind of gets to see the camp for the first time just from the porch. He gets, like, a little overview, uh, which we kind of also get uh, in the series, but not as much as it's described in the book. But obviously, book to series, something's got to be cut. Um, And so when they get to the pavilion... Mr. D and Chiron are playing pinnacle and Percy describes uh, Mr. D as looking like a cherub, which for those who don't know, I think I'm saying that correctly cherub I don't know, Um, but it's those fat baby angels and I feel that's a very good description. Love that Um, Now here he actually gets introduced to Annabeth for the first time in the book Uh, and Like he's going in with a minotaur horn. He's like holding it and Mr. Brunner actually says, hey, Annabeth, can't you go and get Percy's stuff ready in cabin 11? Uh, And Annabeth's like, yeah, sure. And when she's approaching Percy to walk past him, Percy is expecting her to be like, wow, cool, you killed a minotaur or something. Or just something along those lines. But instead, Annabeth says her iconic line of, you drool in your sleep. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. (sighs) No one can write a book... Like Rick Riordan, absolutely amazing. I don't even know if I'm saying Rick Riordan's name right. I've just, it's it's Rick Riordan in my brain. I've heard some people say Riordan, but to me, it's always been Rick Riordan. So I don't I don't actually know what's right. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I will keep saying it. Yes. Now the next thing that happens is obviously Percy meets Mr. Brunner in his wheelchair, which is very different from the series because in the books we get this whole thing with Mr. Brunner. I keep I keep hearing people say Brunner and it's kind of starting to affect me. I've always read it as Mr. Brunner, but they, in the series they say Mr. Brunner. So I I don't know what's correct, but I'm gonna say Mr. Brunner until proven otherwise. So if you know for sure that it's Mr. Brunner and not Mr. Brunner, then let me know, because I see two Ns and I go with N, hard N, Mr. Brunner. Uh, so, Yeah, I'm going to assume that it's Mr. Brunner for now. But uh, Percy meets Mr. Brunner in his wheelchair in the book. And we get this whole, like, talking sequence, and they teach him about the Greek gods in the book, and Mr. D accidentally summons wine and apologizes to the sky by yelling, sorry, old habits, uh, and that whole package. But in the series, we don't get, bad with Mr. Bronner at all. We don't ever see him in his wheelchair after school and Percy gets to camp. Then he kind of just shows up in his full centaur form. And Percy's kind of like, oh, okay, sure. My uh, my teacher's a horse kind of cool centaur. Yeah. Okay. And he kind of just accepts it, which I mean, fair at this point, I guess I would just accept that too. Like, yeah, sure. I, my mom got a vaporized into thin air. I killed a minotaur, best friend's a donkey (laughs) goat. Um, and my teacher is a centaur. So yeah, I, I understand him just like being like, okay, cool. This is happening. Yep. Sure. Um, but we don't get the same, uh, we don't get the whole wheelchair thing, which honestly, I feel like would have been a funny, uh, like a a little bit funny to have in the TV series. Just like, ah yes, my normal teacher is now a horse. Oh, my God. You know, Uh, I feel like that would be a fun thing to have. But uh, yeah, we didn't get it. So I guess they probably just cut it because it would be a lot of after effects trying to figure out that whole rising out of the wheelchair thing because it was described as him like just like kind of floating out of there like standing up and just getting taller and taller and taller uh so i feel like they probably just want to cut some costs on doing that but um you know it it works so it's fine now in the book percy actually underestimates uh mr d quite a bit and he's being i mean he's being per sassy he's being super super sassy and he's like The gods aren't real and oh my god and when uh, mr. D finally reveals that oh yeah I am Dionysus like the god Percy's like looking at him and is like "Mm, I don't but then uh, mr. D shows him visions like he can see this purplish fire in mr. D's eyes and he sees visions of people going insane and dying and stuff like that and Percy's kind of like okay cool you're a god um I, I'm not testing you anymore. Uh, so I think that's very fun. In the series, we don't really get the powerful vibe from Dionysus, um, which I kind of wish we would have. But at the same time, Jason Mansukas plays Mr. D so well. Like, if there was someone who were to play Mr. D, I would choose him every single time. It's amazingly cast. Like, he just has... The vibe of Mr. D. Absolutely, yes. Also, am I saying his name correctly? Jason Manzucas? Is that hold on, I gotta go. Yeah, I think I'm saying it correctly, Jason Manzucas. I don't I don't know. If I'm saying it wrong again, let me know because I I don't know. But I'm trying my best over here. <laughs> now, yes, as I said, we don't get really that powerful vibe. We get more of a like a uh, don't test make it, you know, like a little bit more of a joking vibe from him. Like, he's not very serious, um, but at the same time, as I said, cast perfectly, so I, I don't mind. I, I love Mr. D anyways, and I'm sure we're gonna get many more very interesting, um, scenes with him anyways, so I, I, it's completely fine. Now, both in the series and the books, actually, Mr. D and Grover leaves to talk about Grover's job as a keeper and how well he's done it, Uh, but the difference is, in the book, Percy has obviously been told by Grover already that he's a keeper on the porch earlier in that chapter. Uh, so he, like, knows that that's what they're gonna talk about. Uh, but in the series, when they leave, he's kinda like, okay, what, what are they gonna do, kind of? And is like, well, he's a keeper, and we don't really get it explained as well. And I feel like we don't really have gotten it explained very well, what a keeper is and what Grover's whole job is and everything. Um, so I hope we maybe get to learn a little bit more about that, but, I mean, it's not really relevant as soon as Grover gets his searcher license, so I guess it's completely fine. I just, uh, wish we had kind of got it mentioned, at least. I don't know. But after Mr. D and Grover, uh, exits the conversation, uh, Percy asks Chiron who he is, like, who, who am I? And Chiron just kind of answers in the most best cryptic way. Well, that's what we all want to know. So that was super helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Chiron. Now Percy knows exactly uh, what, uh, who he is and what's going on here. Now, obviously, that happens in the book and in the series. We don't really get the conversation. But, uh, but after that, both in the book and the series, Chiron goes to show Percy around camp. Now, in the book, that's when Chiron gets up from the wheelchair and goes to show Percy around the camp. While in the series, he's obviously already standing. (laughs) Yeah. But when they start walking around, the first thing Percy notices is that something is moving the curtains up in the loft. And so he asks Chiron about it in the book. And he goes, is there anything that lives up there? And Chiron kind of very cryptically says, not a single living thing amazing. I really, oh, I really, really wish we would have gotten that in the series. I don't think we did, because I rewatched the episode, like, a few days ago, so I don't remember every single detail, but I don't think we got that, and I really, really wish we would. Now, in the book, it's casually mentioned through the conversation that Grover is actually 28, not 24, as they say in the series, and I get that they probably changed this because they didn't want to explain that much, Um, but Chiron actually explains the whole satyr growing half the speed of humans. He actually explains that whole thing to Percy in the book just on their tour around the camp, Uh, but in the series we don't really get that explanation. They just kind of go, ah yes, Grover is 24. Anyway, and... (laughs) I, I get that is probably, like, I feel like Percy Jackson, the newest Percy Jackson fan from the series, will probably just, probably just be like, oh yeah, sure, magical things. Anyway, and, yeah, just assume that, I guess, satyrs just look young, or whatever. So I really, I kind of wish we would have gotten that explained like we did in the book, because I, I don't feel like it would take a lot of time to just casually just drop in, oh yeah, um satyrs age at half the speed from humans i feel like i feel like that wouldn't take the longest time to mention but uh, yeah they uh, they didn't include it so but i find it very interesting that they actually changed his age from 28 to 24 because obviously uh in the books uh percy is 12 and so they're kind of they kind of just say that grover is double his age but is 28 which would mean he was 14 in, like, human age. Um, So I'm guessing they just changed it just to make him 12 in human years, the same as Percy, kind of. Uh, I guess that was just to make it, like, easier or whatever. But still thought it was just, like, an interesting thing to just change, because it's such a very little detail. It doesn't really come up a lot, but, you know, they... Yeah, they did it. Whatever. (laughs) And in the books, during the whole... Chiron guides Percy through the camp on his first day kind of thing, we get a lot of conversation between Percy and Chiron that just doesn't happen in the series. Like, um, Percy asks Chiron about the underworld, and Chiron just kind of tells him to forget about it for now. And we, we just get a lot of conversations, like, about Grover, about Satyrs, um, and Chiron hinting about the oracle... And we just we don't get that in the series, which I guess they just need to save some time and just quickly just like this is the camp. okay. anyway, so I I get it. But I feel like it would be a good time to just show us very, very quickly some basic information, because I feel like it would be a very good way to just put that in there. But I also get that, you know, they prioritized other stuff, which is also fine. Now, when they get to the cabins, uh, Chiron shows Percy the cabins. And Percy describes them as having a brass number above the door of each cabin. Now, in the series, they don't have that. But they all have some kind of a symbol on a little banner. And I'm very intrigued as to what those symbols are. Because as as far as I've tried to figure it out, I can't find out what those symbols are. Like, were they just invented? Did they just figure out some symbols, because I don't, I I don't think they're Greek, at least, or at least, like, obviously, I I don't really know the Greek alphabet, I can't really say anything about that, but, um, I at least didn't recognize them as any language that I currently, like, know of, and, yeah, I'm just wondering, are they, are they supposed to represent numbers, are they supposed to represent the gods, like, I, I don't know what those are, so if anyone knows, let me know, please, I would really like to figure that out. Now, a thing I find very, very cool about the book that we didn't get in the series is Percy, while seeing the cabins, notices the hearth that is there uh, and he kind of goes, and there was a girl about nine years old there tending the flames. And for those of you who have read a lot of the Percy Jackson books, you'll know that that girl is Hestia. And I just think it's so, so cool We get Hestia mentioned already in the first book, in the fifth chapter. Like, she's just there, kind of. She's just mentioned and just, like, dropped in there one time. And we never hear about her again until we actually, like, meet her, meet her. And I think that's so good because like, that's so well, like, I don't even know if that that was planned or just a happy coincidence that she just happened to be like, oh yeah, sure, there's a nine-year-old there. And then later wrote that. But I feel like it must have been planned because it was so good. I really, really wish we could have gotten that in the series because believe me, I looked everywhere. I, I looked through that scene so hard to try to see if I could see a little girl tending some flames, but no, we didn't get it. And... I just feel like they, that could have been such a good Easter egg to drop in there for, like, future seasons, because at some point they got to meet Hestia, because obviously she gets kind of important, at least a little bit. And so it would have been such a good Easter egg to just, you know, casually just drop her in there. because just in the back of her head so they didn't have to, like, find a specific casting or something. Just something. It would have been so, so cool if they could have just dropped it in there. I just feel like that would just really make such a cool little detail so that when we're at like season whatever i don't remember when Hestia comes in but when we're at season whatever and we're just like oh my god Hestia and then we can look back at that that would have been so cool but obviously they chose not to include that i don't know whether it was just overlooked or they made a conscience decision not to do that but i think it would have been very very cool now in the book Percy briefly sees Clarice here Uh, when Chiron just kind of leads him to the cabins, uh, but we don't really get much of an interaction. And in the books, we also meet Annabeth here, in front of cabin 11, where she's sitting, reading a book. And Chiron asks Annabeth here to take over and be like, hey, can you show Percy the rest? Because I gotta go. And then he kind of just gets out of there, and Annabeth takes over the tour. Now, in the series, obviously, we don't get that. In the series, we just get Chiron just being like, this is Percy Jackson in cabin 11. And then everyone just kind of ignores Percy. So we don't get any more of that. Um, But in the book, we get a whole lot more. Like we get even more showing around the camp. And it's, I feel like they probably just cut that to save time, but I feel like we could have gotten so much more, like such an interesting introduction to Annabeth and their friendship. Because in the book, it starts already here you know, in the series, we don't, we kind of just meet her at a different time in a different way, which, you know, it works. I really liked it. I really, like when I saw Annabeth, I I screamed. I was like, oh oh my gosh, she's here. And Leah is doing such a good job on being Annabeth. Love it. Love the performance. It's amazing. Nothing bad to say about any other cast members, but I really wish we could have gotten a little bit more about the Building their friendship part, because I feel like that would make it a lot easier in the next episodes of just like making them like kind of friends. Because we get a lot better, a lot like we get an introduction here that's very different from what we get in the series. Now, when Annabeth takes over in the book, uh, Annabeth actually presents Percy to the cabin like Chiron does in the series, and when somebody asks if he's regular or undetermined, and Annabeth says undetermined, they groan. Um, and then we actually meet Luke for the first time in a very different way than we do in the series, where he introduces himself, says he can have a spot on the floor right over there. Like, in the series, he gets that spot, but not assigned by Luke, kind of. And Annabeth introduces Percy to Luke and says that he's gonna be Percy's counselor. And then Luke actually explains to Percy what undetermined mean because he's asking, what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that I'm undetermined? Now, in the series, we actually get... Uh, Chiron explaining that. So before they even go into the cabin, so I'm guessing it's just to try to save time and yeah, just make it easier for everyone to understand. It's like yeah, undetermined means you don't you don't know which godly parent is your parent, and that's it. Anyway, but Percy is kind of like undetermined or whatever in the book, and Annabeth drags Percy out of the cabin, and it's just like, okay, you gotta make a better impression than that next time. And Annabeth actually, in this moment, teaches Percy how monsters work. Uh, Because she's talking about the Minotaur and the Furies that Percy had to face. And she explains to him how the monsters work. That they don't really die, but they kind of get reborn in Tartarus after a while. Which we never get in the series. And that is something that could become pretty important knowledge after a while. So I, I find it slightly strange that they cut that out. Because... I get that he hadn't met Annabeth at that point, but I feel like they could get someone else to say it at least. Because, like, at some point, the Minotaur is coming back. Like, we know that for sure. Like, Percy fights the Minotaur more than once. So, either Percy's gonna be real shocked when the Minotaur turns up again, or somebody at some point got explained to him the monster's return. And I feel like that's good basic knowledge to have before the second book. So I really, really hope that someone will properly explain that. Because I feel like that's a pretty necessary thing to have in there. So I don't... I I don't really know why they cut it. But again guess it's probably to save time just drop naturally into some other conversation, I'm assuming. Because that's what they've done so far. And Percy, when Annabeth has dragged Percy out of the cabin, explains some monster stuff to him. He kind of asks, well, why can't I just go live in one of the other cabins, you know, that where there's less people? And Annabeth just explains to Percy here that he needs to be determined to get a cabin. He needs to know who his parents is. And she also explains both ADHD and dyslexia and nectar and ambrosia. All in this one conversation. Now, I actually very much like that we didn't get told directly about the dyslexia and ADHD in the series. We kind of just see it a little bit. We don't really like see the ADHD, but we see the dyslexia just like visualized on Percy's like schoolwork thing. Uh, I talked about it in the last episode with Faye. Um, but um, yeah, I, I like that they did that. But I also really like here that Annabeth creates a lot of basic knowledge for Percy. Like, she gives him a lot of, hey, this is how this world works. A bunch of world building, really. And we are missing a little bit of that in the series, um, but I feel like they're gonna catch up on some of it, at least. So I, I feel like it's gonna be fine. And during this conversation, in the book, Half-Blood is said for the first time. In the series, it gets mentioned almost immediately, because Mrs. Dodds obviously attacks Percy and goes like, Half-blood or whatever and he now has heard the word half-blood and later when Sally talks about him it, is like half-blood That's what that monster said to me um, But in the book we actually doesn't we actually don't hear the word half-blood until that point and uh, Annabeth explains to Percy what that means now things happen in a bit of a different order in the series and book here because after Luke and Percy meet in the series we kind of get this whole like they are becoming friends and Luke shows them around camp a little bit and they try to figure out what Percy is good at and we get like some eating and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to talk about all of this but I'm gonna do it in different order than what happens in the series because of the way it happens in the book. Because I've written notes from the book and then watched the series after. So I'm going to try to go through it in the book order of things. And, but I'm going to try to mention everything that happens in the series. Because that is the way that's easiest for me. I'm sorry if it's not for you, but I'm going to try my best to include everything that happens. Now in the book, this is when Clarice approaches and says that Percy needs an initiation ceremony for the newbies. And this is obviously when we get the famous uh, chapter title, I Become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. Amazing. I would not have changed a single thing. I, I love that. Um, now, in the book, obviously, um, Annabeth is with Percy at the time that Clarice kind of ganks up on him with her goodies. And they drag him to the bathroom, and Annabeth kind of follows, like, not really doing anything except, like, hey, don't. And Clarice being like, uh, I will. And Annabeth being like... Uh, Okay, And so they try to, obviously, to show, to shove Percy in the toilet, which is very unsuccessful, uh, as you all know. And the toilet explodes and, like, sprays everyone in the vicinity except for Percy. And in the book, even Annabeth gets wet. And I really, really like this book scene, because she gets wet and she's just kind of staring at him in shock. And then she says, I want you on my capture the flag team. Or I think I want you on my team for Capture the Flag. Or something like that. Now, in obviously in the series it happens very, very differently. But I I really like that scene in the book. And I really wish they would have done something... I Obviously they did something very similar to that. But I really wish we would have gotten the moments with Annabeth before. So they didn't meet in the bathroom. But at the same time, I feel like they really introduced Annabeth well and I feel like I feel like they've done Annabeth justice so I'm not gonna be too picky about it but you know I'm a really really big fan of that exact scene so you know I'm gonna be a little bit picky (laughs) now obviously in the series Annabeth just kind of walks in there directly after so she doesn't get wet and she's kind of like observing him and he's like are you stalking me and she's like what if I am and they have that whole conversation about her just like paying attention to him, which, you know, good introduction. I like it. It's, I like, it feels, it feels very Annabeth. Just like, "Mm, I don't know where I have you yet, so I'm gonna analyze you a bit more first. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good, Annabeth. I like it. Now, in the books after this, Annabeth shows Percy the different places in the camp, just like Kyron had done, but just a little bit more in detail. Uh, she shows him the different, like, workshop places, like, she shows Percy, uh, like the forge, the volleyball places, uh, the volleyball court or whatever. Uh, she shows him around the camp, just in general. And while Annabeth is showing Percy around these places, she's kind of making him admit to himself that he's a half-god. Because he's like, half-blood, you said that, what does that mean? And she was like, I think you know what it means. And he's like, mm, fine, I might know what it means and yeah she kind of makes him admit that to himself more than it's for her I believe and she says that she's the daughter of Athena and tells Percy that he might have to wait a while to get claimed because some people just never get claimed some gets claimed immediately and she said that it depends for person to person Uh, and now obviously we hear this from Chiron in the series so it's a little bit different a little bit of a different uh way of getting that told to us. In the same conversation that she's doing this, she explains the year-rounders. She explains that people like her, who has powerful parents, need to stay in camp year-round because, obviously, they attract more monsters. Now, we don't get that explained in the series either, which I feel could be weird at the end of the season when we see some people going home and other kind of just not. but I don't even know if they're gonna include that so I hope it just solves itself and in the series obviously we get things in a little bit of a different order but instead of Annabeth showing Percy around camp it's Luke to try to help Percy find out what he's good at Now we get kind of this video montage of Percy trying different stuff um but one thing that I really really missed is the Luke and Percy sword fighting scene. Because that is such a vital thing that we get in the book that we just don't get at all in the series. And to me, that was slightly disappointing because I've really, really liked the series so far. But they kind of just dropped one of the scenes that I think is really, really important for Percy's like character building and for people to know Percy's abilities. Because obviously... We like we as Percy Jackson readers know that Percy is a great, great sword fighter. Like he's super talented. Like he was so talented, he could disarm Luke in his first training session. Obviously, after he poured water over himself, but he has such talent. Luke even says during that scene, "Hmm, I wonder what you could do with a balanced sword." And it's like we during that scene we get such a cool view of Percy. Like, okay, this guy might actually be kind of dangerous and I feel like it's such a cool thing that they could have included because they had this whole montage with Percy trying different stuff and being really really bad at it why couldn't they just quickly include a little bit sword fighting where he like at the end where he actually does good like I guess it was probably for funny purposes like haha this is funny and it it was it was really good but we didn't get any of the um, Percy's actually great at sword fighting, because at some point, Percy in the season is going to have to fight Ares, and at that point, we need to have established that Percy is a good fighter, like, he has, he knows his way around the sword, he's, he's really good and talented, because he's gonna, he's going to beat a god, but so far, we haven't really seen that, like, the fight scenes have been super short, and while I really like the fight scenes i feel like they're a little bit too short to actually show percy's potential and we've never really seen percy fight because anytime he's drawn his sword he's either did one chop with it or just kind of accidentally hit something or lost it onto the ground so we haven't really we haven't seen percy actually like use his sword really and especially not in episode two, obviously, we haven't seen anything really with Percy and a sword yet. So we can't really know that Percy is a good fighter. So I really, really wish they would have included that. Because I really would really like to see that. I really would like to see Percy beating Luke with his own sword. Because it's going to be such a vital thing that Percy is a good fighter. And not just because of his water powers or because he is a powerful parent, but because he is a good sword fighter. So I really wish we would have gotten that, and I'm a little disappointed that we didn't. But hopefully, at some point, we will have some sort of something that will make sure that we know that person is a good fighter, because it's such an important part. So if they just exclude that, I'm unsure of how they're going to do the Ares fight scene. But um, only one way to find out, and that's to watch. And like, after... Annabeth has shown him around and explained some more stuff to him, they go to dinner. Or Annabeth asks Percy to go to cabin 11 so that they can go to dinner. And it's a bit different in the book from the series, because in the books, obviously, we have these tables that people can only sit by the same tables to the cabin that they belong. So in the book, we hear that, oh yeah, it was crowded at the table for cabin 11, like Percy was almost falling off the bench trying to sit there while in the series it's kind of just it's a little table with Luke and Percy and who I'm guessing is Chris Rodriguez. I hope it's Chris Rodriguez because it would be very fun if he was already mentioned now kind of but we never really get like introduced introduced to him but it's very different vibes from the series than from the book. Because in the book is kind of like overcrowded. And we have like you have to sit at your table. If you belong to that cabin. And in the series it kind of just looks like. Yeah a few people gathered around the different tables. You know it it doesn't really seem as serious. And we don't really get explained. A lot of the like food offering stuff that we get in the book. We kind of get it a little bit. But not... Not a lot. But obviously the fact that it's mentioned is very good because then we get that cute, cute scene with Percy at night burning his candy. And that obviously wasn't in the book, but I think it was such, such a cute addition. And it really, really just, it made this, the viewers connect to Percy, I feel. I feel like that was such a good addition to the series. And the whole conversation was just like, this is not that calm amazing because it really shows that Percy has now kind of made this a home. The camp is not just a camp for him, it's a it's a home with friends and people that like him. Now obviously we know that he's about to be betrayed pretty badly uh, by Luke. But um yeah, at this point Percy doesn't know that, so fine. Uh, but I really really like that they added the scene in, it really just made the episode complete for me. It really just made us connect so much deeper to Percy in a level that we haven't had so far. Now, obviously, we haven't seen a lot, but I really, really liked that scene. And it's after this in the series that we actually get the bathroom scene with Clarice and the gang. So as I said, it's happened in a bit of a different order. But yeah, I really like that they included that scene. Now, one more thing that was also excluded from the series was um, Annabeth teaching... Percy ancient Greek and we we miss a lot of the Annabeth and Percy connecting scene because in the books Annabeth is teaching Percy to read ancient Greek every single day every single day she meets up with him and helping him read Homer and I feel like that's such like a bonding moment and I wish we could have just had like a short like we didn't have to see a lot of it but just a little bit, because at this point in the book, when we get to the Capture the Flag episode, Percy already kind of has a relationship to Annabeth and trusts her more than, like, obviously they're not quite friends yet, but he trusts her more than in the series, where he's just kind of like, yeah, she doesn't talk to me and she kind of stalks me, and Luke is just like, she's the best sword fighter in camp. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish we could have gotten a little bit more relationship- building between annabeth and percy before this but you know gotta cut time i guess um and also i feel like it's so weird that luke just kind of goes yeah annabeth's the best swordsman or annabeth's the best fighter in camp and because like why couldn't they just show us that like we have so we had so many like trying out stuff for Percy why couldn't Annabeth just show him how it's done in one of the videos like I feel like they could have very easily shown us that he's a great fighter instead of just telling us because they've been doing a lot of showing us stuff instead of telling us and I feel like they could have just as easily done that with that but you know sometimes it's just easier to tell us so I guess it would save it saves a little bit of time but I really wish because I, I really feel that Annabeth's and Percy's relationship would be different when they left on the quest if we've gotten a little bit of like in-camp time between them. But now, obviously, capture the flags the next thing that happens, so we get a little bit more bonding between them, but not really enough for them to like be friends, you know. And before this whole capture the flag thing, actually, in the book, uh, Grover explains the whole kids of the big three thing and and the pledge that uh, poseidon hades and zeus took and i just we don't get that in the series and i feel like it's a very important thing for percy to know because they can they like the mention uh, kids of the big three thing but they say it very differently and i just we don't get time with either grover or annabeth in camp really which I feel like is a little bit of a strange choice, considering they are, or like Grover at least, is Percy's best friend. So it makes sense for him to spend more time with Grover, but never do. So, whatever. Like, I feel like we it, it it's progressing anyway. So it's probably fine, but I feel like it's maybe a bit of a weird choice to cut out all of that. Now, I think I actually haven't mentioned from the series yet is Grover's visit to the Cloven Council. I think that is such a good scene, such a good addition, and I did not expect it. Because just seeing Grover walk down into the woods, and this woman just emerges from a tree. Now, at first I was confused, because I was like, is this Juniper? Is Juniper already in the here? But she looks, like, older than Juniper is supposed to be, I think. Um, so I don't think it's Juniper, and I'm a little bit confused about who the tree woman is. But regardless, I think it was a very, very cool scene and that like and the the, like the makeup and the costume she had on amazing like oh my god that is so cool I really really liked her costume like that must have taken ages like that must have taken ages to put on and take off again later like I just really really like that and the Cloven council and walking in there, oh, that looks so cool. That looks so cool. And we kind of got like, like obviously for the people who doesn't know Percy Jackson, they don't know the Cloven council. So they probably is a little bit confused because we never got really explained that much. We got like kind of mentioned later uh, or at the end of the episode. But other than that, we didn't get a lot of explained. but I think it was a really, really cool addition for those who know. So I really, really like that. Okay, so now we've finally got to the capture the flag scene. Uh, the first thing that happens in the book is that Annabeth tells Percy that he's border patrol. And she tells him to stand by the creek and keep the Reds away. Now, in the series, we don't actually hear this from Annabeth. We hear this from Luke, uh, who was like, yeah, like Annabeth said, be that. And yeah. And so we get the same thing where Annabeth and Percy kind of walks through the woods to get to the border or where, where Percy's supposed to be. But the thing that I think is very, very funny is that in the book, Percy actually notes, I somehow managed to follow Annabeth without falling, even with the heavy, heavy stuff. And I think it's so funny that in the series, they actually did the opposite thing and just made Percy just like stumble and fall immediately. Just very fun, and the fact that Annabeth just stood there looking at him without helping up, just like, yeah, that's, okay. you did that, I've <laughs> amazing, really like that. I, it just makes sense. Like, I can, f- I can feel the vibes radiate from Annabeth. Like this dumbass, wh- why, how did you manage this? Like the, I just, I love the vibes. It was amazing. I love that they did that little change because it's just really good. But when we finally get to there, uh. Annabeth kind of does the same thing in the series as she does in the book. She just kind of walks out of there and leaves Percy to himself. But what's different in the books that didn't get included in the series is that when Percy's standing there, he kind of gets a bad feeling and he hears a growling, is what he says, but it disappears as Clarice approaches. Now, before Clarice gets there in the series, we don't hear any of the growling or like Percy's instincts kicking or whatever, but we get we get the montage of Percy just like being super bored, and the flossing amazing, amazing addition. I have no notes, no notes, absolutely perfect. Really, really enjoy that. I laughed so hard when I saw it because. I feel like that's the most Percy thing to do. Just like, okay, I've been put here. I have no idea what to do. So I'm just going to do something to kill my boredom. Just amazing. really like that. And the smile when he was petting that lizard or whatever it was, that that's that was a genuine smile. Love that. That was, that was so good. And Walker plays Percy so good. Loved that part. It was just, yes, amazing. Love it. No notes. Absolutely perfect. Oh, but yeah, as I said, we don't really get any of the growling or bad feeling. We just kind of get humor, and I love it. But after that, both in the book and the series, Clarice gets there. And she's just kind of like, Yeah, gotta fight you now. And obviously, she comes and attacks Percy. And one thing I think is interesting is that uh, when Percy says, No maiming, which she does in both the book and the series, in the series, Clarice says, Oh no, guess I'll lose my dessert privileges for a week or something like that. And I think it's interesting that they had Clarice say it because in the book it's actually one of Clarice's goons that say it and not Clarice herself. But, like, obviously, tiny detail. And I think it was much better that Clarisse said it because in the book it's just this random dude that's never n- named and just kind of puts that line in there. But in the series when Clarice says it, it makes it so much better. Like, it just... yes applause, applause, amazing love that, I love the way that they changed that because yes and Dior plays Clarice so good, like it's just how, cause I've seen interviews of Dior and she seems so sweet and then you see Clarice and it's just the entire other end of the scale, like we have a bully on our hands with Clarice, right, and just amazing performance and the scream later Okay, I'm gonna get back to that, but I just gotta, wow. Chills. Literal chills every single time. Oh my god. Amazing. Just, wow. Yes. But obviously, in this fight, Clarice attacks Percy first, and Percy gets slashed, and he gets pushed into the creek by the barter where he's standing in the book, and he gets this burst of energy, which is when he manages to fight the Ares people, and, like, kind of knocks them out. Now, this happens a little bit differently in the series, but I don't mind it at all. Now, in the series, he kind of gets slashed over the arm and gets a little bit of cuts and bruises. um, And then he kind of runs, which I feel is just as good because he was just as terrified in the book. He just manages to fall into or he gets pushed into water and therefore gets a burst of energy. But I really like that in the series, they kind of run and we get this whole like chasing thing, which I think is really cool. And they run down to the beach and I, I like it. Now, obviously, in the book, they were already by the water, so they didn't really need to go to the water. But I think they saw that very, very well in the series by finding a location that worked, but still getting to the water somehow. Really like that. So, yeah, when they, when they get to the beach, that is when in the series, Percy gets that same burst of energy. Or, like, burst of energy? Not as much a burst of an energy as in the books, because then he gets, in the books, obviously, he lands in the water, and then gets a burst of energy because of the water, which we know because some of the Poseidon, uh, those who have read the books know. Um, But in the series, he doesn't, he just kind of fights. And I was talking about earlier that we don't really get a good show of Percy being a good fighter, but I, I totally forgot about that, so I guess we do kind of get that in that scene, where he actually manages to knock out some of the Ares people. And yeah, so I-, I f- we might actually have- we have a little bit on Percy's fighting thing, but I- I can't like- I couldn't quite tell from the scene if it was like an accidental, oh I just gotta fight, or if his like instincts kick in or whatever. But I- it was a good fight anyways. Probably my favorite fight so far. I uh, really really like that. And then when Percy manages to snap Clarice's spear, and as I said earlier, the scream, the scream that Dior made here. Amazing, holy f- That was so good. Oh my God, I I was like gaping when I watched this. I, My mouth was open. I was like, oh my God, like it sounded so realistic, so good. I had chills. I was like, that is someone who cares so much about her spear amazing now obviously for those who are avid Percy Jackson fans knows that that spear was a gift from her father Ares and we haven't gotten that established in the series yet but I really hope that we will because that would really explain that scream like that was a scream of not just anger but sadness and it's just so good because at some point we're going to start building on Clarice's character in the later books so we gotta get something in there so that scream was perfect and I know I've watched a bunch of interviews so I know that that scream Walker was not expecting that so he was genuinely like terrified in the scene you can see that in his face that is not acting the way he just get like yeah no that was true terror if I've ever seen it just amazing just wow I cannot give her enough credit for that scream amazing yes Now, obviously here, Clarice tries to beat Percy up, but before she has time, Luke comes running in with the flag uh, from the other side and obviously wins. And this happens in both the book and the series at the same time, kind of. So it works amazing. Uh, And she kind of gets distracted and doesn't have time to beat Percy up, because obviously she can't do that in front of everyone. And especially not Chiron, because that would be bad. Probably would lose a little bit more than the serve privileges. But at that point, Annabeth appears on the beach next to Percy and Percy's kind of like, why didn't you help me? And she was like, well, you look like you could manage yourself. At least that's what happens in the series. And in the series, she's already, or like they are both standing on the beach. They have not been in the water. But in the book, Percy has been in the water all this time. And so in the book, uh, Annabeth actually tells Percy to step out of the water because she can see his like wounds disappearing. She's like, step out of the water for me, please. And he does. And he gets super tired, is what he, like, he's like, oh my god, I'm super tired. And he goes back into the water, and she kind of swears. That's what she, that's what it said, she swears. And in the series, obviously, um, Percy's not already in the water, so Annabeth pushes him in, which I mean, cool, because Percy's reaction here is just like, why, why would you do that? That was unnecessary, you know? Just, I like it, I like it, I can't help but like it, because it's so good. And then obviously you can see... His wounds healing and the effect is so cool. Just chef's kiss. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And then when the trident appears. Oh my God. Now, I don't know if it's just me. I imagine the trident to be like smaller, but I don't mind. It's so good. It's so, oh my God. So good. I just love it. Like it's so Oh, it's so much better than I could ever have imagined. Just amazing moment. Oh, yes. Literal chills just thinking about it. Now, obviously, in the book, it happens a little bit differently because they've cut out some things that doesn't happen in the series. Because in the series, before Percy even gets claimed and Annabeth uh, is talking with Percy while he's still in the water, as it says in the book, a canine growl distracted them. And then, out of the forest, a hellhound literally jumps Percy. Like, he jumps over Annabeth and everyone just around him and just sinks his claws into Percy's armor. And Percy says he can feel it, like, the claws going into him. And he says that he would probably die if he hadn't been in the water. And in the book, Clarice actually blames Percy for the hellhound because Annabeth's talking to Chiron. It's like, well, someone must have summoned it, you know? And Clary's like, oh my god, Percy summoned the hellhound! And yeah, so that whole thing happens in the book and we don't get that in the series. And I I was slightly disappointed at that because I was really looking forward to see what they would do with the hellhounds. Um, and I feel like it's such a interesting thing because it really builds on that betrayal that Luke is about to go through with later. It really just builds on everything that Luke has done. Like, he isn't just working for the enemy, he isn't just doing this. He tried to kill Percy. He he summoned a hellhound, and obviously as yes, we know he's gonna summon some scorpions to try to kill Percy. But like I was kind of disappointed that they cut that out. I really wanted to see it. But at the same time, I get that they had to cut it. It was probably a lot more work to get that scene in, so I get it. But anyways, in the book Then the trident appears over Percy's head and Chiron says you have been claimed by Poseidon, Earthshaker, Stormbringer, hail Perseus Jackson, son of the sea god. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. I really, really like it. And one thing, one little little detail that I think is pretty funny is that in the book, they actually say more. They say you've been claimed by Poseidon, Earthshaker, Stormbringer, father of horses. Hail Percy Jackson, son of the sea god. And I think it's so funny that they just cut out father of horses. I I think that's hilarious because I'm guessing it was supposed to be a little bit of humor to put that in there because I don't feel like that's usually mentioned when you talk about Poseidon. You're like, yeah, it's powerful god. And then also the father of horses. Uh, So I guess they probably just cut that out to really enhance the seriousness of the moment because that's like a really cool moment. But regardless, I think it was very good. I re- I wish they would have kept it in, but it would it, it worked completely fine without also, of course. But the whole claiming scene? Oh, amazing. Now, after this, Percy gets moved into the Poseidon cabin. And after this in the book, we actually get some scenes in the book where he keeps training with Luke, he gets sword lessons, but also gets Greek lessons from Annabeth. Um, and we even, at some point, get a scene where... Percy gets a newspaper delivered to his cabin and and there's an article in there where Gabe, smelly Gabe, claims that Percy is troubled and maybe behind his mother's disappearance. And I kind of wish we would have gotten the whole newspaper thing because obviously I get that they probably had to cut it and they probably didn't have time, but it's such a interesting scene because to me, that newspaper symbolized, because I'm, I'm guessing it was handed there by Luke, Because that newspaper makes Percy angry. And to me that just really represents that someone here doesn't like Percy. Someone wants Percy ill. Because now there's been a hellhound. And now there's a newspaper about Percy delivered to him. Like something here is not right. And I get that they had to cut it. But I really wish they would have kept it in. Because I think it's just an interesting detail. I think it's very, very interesting. And I really wish they would have kept it in. But you know. Also, we kind of get that later anyways with the in episode four, five, I I think maybe episode five. So I'm going to talk about more about the news thing later uh, in another episode, but we kind of get it. So I'm okay. And now in the book, uh, after that, we kind of get Percy dreaming of a Poseidon and Zeus fighting again, but we don't really get that in the series and I get it again. A lot of dreams about the same people fighting over and over probably won't do any good. And we already know that they're kind of fighting. Um, But the day after that, Chiron and Mr. D summons Percy to talk to them. Uh, At least they do in the book. In the series, he obviously goes to talk to them as well. Um, But it's a little bit of a different conversation in the book from the series. But I like both of them to be honest. Now, before I get into that, one thing that I have noticed that I think is kind of strange is all the name dropping, because when Percy first comes to Camp Half Blood and talks to Chiron and Mr. D, he's name dropping a lot, like Zeus and Hades and blah blah blah, and and even in even in this uh, in the ending of this. Uh, chapter at the ending of the episode in the series, they're like, oh yeah, it's Hades. Hades have done this. Zeus has had his lightning bolt stolen. Hades, Hades, Poseidon, they, they're saying a lot of names. Now in the book, Perseus repeatedly warned, names are powerful don't use the names. Like, if you gotta talk about Zeus, say the Lord of the Sky, but that's what people do. They're like, they say Zeus maybe once to establish that that's who they're talking about, and the rest of the time they say Lord of the Sky. And then whenever Percy just goes like, oh, you mean Zeus, Zeus Zeusy Zeus, you know? They kind of go, names are powerful, Percy. Be careful with how you use them. Well, in the series, they just gives zero shits. They just kind of go like, yeah, Zeus did this and Hades being Hades does Hades stuff. They just name drop so much. And I really think it's an interesting change. And I'm assuming it's for everyone to know who they're talking about in the series. So, But but at the same time, I feel like people would understand that Lord of the Sky means Zeus or Lord of the Underworld or Lord of the Sea. Like They could have name dropped them once like they do in the books and then talked about them with different like I feel it would be pretty clear unless it's like very young children that's watching this which also could be uh, It might just be to account for the age of the viewers But I just I think it's a very interesting change because in the book They're like stressing so much how names are powerful and saying names can really jinx you and and In the series, they're kind of just like, eh, let's name up them all the time for no reason whatsoever. I'll just say this name in the sentence for no reason at this point. But yeah, again, small details that really doesn't really matter in the long run, I'm guessing. Now, in the last scenes of both the book uh, or chapter nine and in the episode, Percy goes to talk to Chiron and Mr. D. Now, in the book... Mr. D actually threatens to turn Percy into a dolphin and he said that would be a better solution than what Chiron's about to ask you to do and then Mr. D actually leaves because he says he has a meeting up on Olympus that he has to go to and he kind of leaves and Grover is actually with Percy when they're having this conversation. So Chiron talks to Percy and Grover alone when he asks if Percy wants the quest. Now, obviously, in the series, it happens quite a bit differently. Because at that point, Percy's alone with Mr. D and Chiron. And they're talking about the quest. But Grover kind of just runs in after a while. Just like, Percy, I think you could save your mom and... That is very, very different from ha- what happens in the book. Because in the book, at least, Chiron asks Percy if he wants the quest before even explaining to him anything. And Percy's kind of like, Well, can I know anything? And Chiron tells Percy that Percy is the suspected lightning thief. Because Percy's like, Well, who stole the bolt? You did? Eh? No, I didn't. So we get that in the series as well. But then what's very different is that Percy accepts the quest after being told that all he has to do is retrieve the lightning bolt and hand it back to Zeus. Like, and Percy's like, okay, all I gotta do is retrieve the lightning bolt? Sure, I can do that. I can do that. And then he accepts the quest. Now, chapter 9 actually doesn't end there, but since the ending of chapter 9 is actually covered in the third episode, I'm not going to talk about that yet. I'm going to talk about that in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. That is coming up, but it's not going to be mentioned in this one, even though it is in chapter 9. But what does happen in the series is that Mr. D and Chiron obviously talks to Percy, and Percy's like, ah, no way, I'm not taking this quest. Until Grover comes running and is like, I think you could save your mom! And Mr. D's like, eh, no, don't say it. But Grover says it anyways. And Percy goes, okay, I'll do it, you know? And I think that's very interesting. Because it's a very interesting little change. Because it changes Percy's whole motivation for doing this quest. Because obviously, we know that in the book, Percy still has the, like, I want to save my mom part of it. He still does have that. But that's not the reason he accepts the quest. He accepts the quest because he wants to show everyone that he is not a thief. And he will retrieve it and go through the trouble to make sure that everyone knows he's not a thief. He he didn't do this. While in the series, it seems his only motivation for doing this is to save his mom. And that is the main reason he's taking this quest. Which I think is quite an interesting change. And I'm not entirely sure why they have made that change but you know again it doesn't really matter because stuff is going to get done but entering the quest with such a different a different way of doing it I think is quite interesting so I guess we'll just have to wait and see if that difference in motivation will change the outcome i um, i mean they're sticking pretty close to the book and i think they're doing a good job That so i don't think it will really affect anything much but i really do think that a different motivation like this could could prove to be interesting i think in the coming episodes now i have seen the coming episodes so i'm not going to say much yet i will be discussing this in later episodes but i think it's really interesting that they did that change But that's it for today. I think I've covered pretty much everything in both chapter 5 through 9 and uh, the second episode. Uh, If I missed something that you would like me to uh, catch up with later and talk about more, then please let me know. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at the underscore damn underscore pod. Or you can obviously leave a review here or anything. You just... Contact me if you want me to talk about something that I haven't talked about or skipped over for some reason that you want to hear about. Um, but I think that's it for today. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you had a good time listening about Percy Jackson and that I didn't uh, make you angry if I pronounced stuff wrong. Uh, again, if I did, just let me know. But if you want to follow along more with this podcast, you can follow both on um, the Instagram or on Spotify and Apple Podcasts where I will be posting all the episodes and I will also be posting updates on Instagram so if you want to hear more about that you should definitely head over there um, but that's it for now I believe so whatever you're doing wherever you're from have a good day or good night depending on what time of day you're listening to this and I hope to see you another damn time!